0: All right, this morning I'm going to read from Deuteronomy the 8th chapter and I'm going to read also from Joshua the 1st fi- the chapter. But why uh, that we go back to refer to these scriptures. And here's the reason why. Because obviously, and we've been taught this by God over the, over the years. But the reasons why is we go back and we glean and learn from what God was doing in and through uh, the nation of Israel, the people there, and the servants that he had raised up uh, to lead others as he led them. And so we glean from them. This is why we do this. Now, this is Romans 15, verse 4. It says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, which is what we're going to read from Deuteronomy and Joshua, we're written for our learning. Isn't that interesting? See? That's why it says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 that all Scripture is, give, is given by God, is God-breathed inspiration, and is profitable, it says there, for doctrine, for reproof, and on and on it goes. So we know that all Scripture, it says, all Scripture is given. And this is what Romans 15 uh, verse 4 and we're going to read 1st Corinthians 10 6 and 11 and we just referred to again in 2nd Timothy 3 and verse 16 this is Romans 15 verse 4 for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through what patience patience and what comfort what comforts us Is there any love without patience? In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, there isn't. So, this is what we're learning about God. And we learn in this place of patient, humble dependence, all of us. And so that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, again, all scriptures in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, might have what? Hope. Or might realize and experience the hope in Colossians 1 and verse 27 of which Christ is in us. That's our hope. He's our foundation. We know that in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11 and Matthew 16 and verse 18. He is our hope. He's laid the foundation and we're to build on that. That's what he's doing. Once we receive Christ as our as our Savior, as our, as Lord. And Lord is who He is before anyone ever was. So we don't make Him Lord. He is Lord. He's making Himself be known that in His sovereignty, in His Lordship, in us experientially. That He is Lord over everything about us, especially, and, and really, deeply, and experientially for those that are in Christ. And so, that we might have that hope. And we know that hope in Romans 5, 5, what? Makes not what? There's no shame in who Christ is in us and who he's made us to be in himself. This is what he's bringing into us. So, now it says in verse 5, Now the God of patience, notice that God, and God is love in 1 John 4, 8 and 16. So, the God of patience What? Patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another. See, one mind. What? According to, all right, or after the examples, the better reading, after the example of which Christ is himself, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. You see, that's our opportunity for every circumstance and situation because we're in Christ. And when we function in Him, there's no shame. And when there's no shame, we freely offer up the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving and glorifying God in Hebrews 13, verse 15, because our eyes are not on where we are right now in the present city or location where we are in the world in John seventeen fourteen and 16, but not of it. And so in 1 Corinthians we see these, these tremendous truths. Again, in Hebrews 13, verse 14, here we don't have a continuing city. No, we're passing through in First Peter 2, 11, where strangers and pilgrims were on our way to Christ, who is our promised land. We'll see how that's brought out and how God works in us, all of us, this morning. That you may with one mind, in Romans 15, verse 6, and one mouth altogether. See, this is bringing out the one new man. This is bringing it out. In, in the Ephesian epistle, it's bringing it out very, very beautifully. And he, in, in Ephesians 2 and verse 14 and 15, there's one new man. We see that in, he, in, in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Even the father. Ah, isn't that awesome? We have a father. In John 20 and verse 17, we have a Father and He's fathering us. And there's a lot of learning. There's a lot of the first step of grace, a lot of chastisement and correction. See, chastisement always has to do with God correcting in His love for us through grace. That's why when we receive it, we are not suspicious because there's no suspicion in who God is, love. And we're never irritated. Did you know that when we're humble, there's no irritation because we have grace? Because there's no irritation in grace, and so we have a Father. We know that everything that he's allowing in our lives, because we're the dot and he's a circle, all has to do with his glory. His love being met by Jesus Christ through propitiation, the justice of that love that you can't separate, so that he's free to love us and lovingly correct us. you see so, and i'm I'm seeing with you the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This goes into God's very desire. You know, Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. And what that brings out is, in First John 1, 1 through 3, the depth and desire of His fellowshipping with us right here, right now, and teaching us. Because you see that fellowship has to do, in those first three verses of First John, chapter 1, we see very, very, very clearly has to do with what? The Father and the Son, and of course the Holy Spirit proceeding from both, to make all that truth that is ours in Christ with a godly Father and two comforters, Christ in heaven and the Holy Spirit on the earth. Christ in heaven in Romans 8 and verse 34, the Holy Spirit with us here on this earth in Romans 8 verse 26. Jesus Christ Himself, in the presence of His Father, in the heavens, is interceding for us in Hebrews seven twenty-five and in Hebrews nine and verse twenty-four. The whole way through our journey, people talk about these jur- journaling books. This is we're going to see God's journaling book for us today, for each of us personally. So, because of Romans. Uh, Fifteen one through six, and see and again i want to I want to read again fifteen verse one of of Romans, we then that's we who are in Christ that are strong and we're strong through what our own works or grace, no. The Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told the young pastor, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 1, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus because he has all kinds of portions of grace in Psalm 68 and verse 28 to bring to us and meet us right where we are at. He has that for us. And so, therefore, we, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves, oh boy, and not to please ourselves. Stop living for the flesh. We said it yesterday. We talked about we talked about it yesterday, and it was we know that everything about the flesh that's in us in Romans eight verse nine has to do with the dung hill in first Samuel two in verse eight and Philippians three in verse eight, when Paul, in all his religiosity Remember, God is not a God of religion. He's a God of intimate, deep desire to have a relationship with every single person through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see very clearly that Paul counted it all dung. He instantly did that. You know, he instantly did Philippians 3:8. The moment in Acts 9:1 through 6 that he met Christ. Because at that particular time, while he is thinking he's doing God's service, in John 16 and verse 2, they that that kill the body of Christ think they're doing God's service. That's works. Even killing, the killing of the body of Christ means doing away with all the work that Christ has, has finished. We see that in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 and 9. The letter kills. In 2 Corinthians 3, 6, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives light, meaning the Holy Spirit in John sixteen thirteen and 14 takes the things of the person of Christ and the work that he's accomplished and shows it unto us. You see, this is grace, and this is where only his love flows through, and that's why we even know chastisement is his absolute grace and his deep desire to love us. And so he has to bring us back to this place so that he can love us and then give us, that's our life in John ten ten b He came to give us life. That's our life. But then to do it abundantly with others. And that's what Romans 15 verse 1 is teaching us. That we can be strong and bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. You know, Paul's whole call was not pleasing himself. And then we're no different. He said in Acts 20, 24, I don't count my own life, my own fleshly life, dear unto myself, that I might finish my course, my whole journey. And whatever that involves. And you know, you and I, when we have a journey, it doesn't just involve us, it involves a local assembly and then everything from out, out from that particular place. Did you notice, though, that we're still the dot and then God encircles us himself. That's God. That's salvation. But he also encircles us in a local assembly. And we never, ever go outside of that circle. Did you know? That's John 10, 28 and 29. No man can tear us out of his hand. No. He said, I I and my Father. My Father is greater than all in those scriptures. So in John 6 and verse 37 and 39, he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So that means everything about us within that circle is for God's glory and our blessing and our personal blessing through us for others. This is what this is teaching here, everything about our life, not to please themselves. That's why Paul said it. So he started in Acts 20, verse 24. That's what he said. I I don't please my own life. I'm not pleasing my own life. And that's why he said in Acts 20, 27, I have not shunned or kept back from declaring all the counsel of God unto you. And that's why he said in Acts 20, 32, I commend you to God, not to myself, Not that you think that the word in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 is the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God himself that does work effectually when you receive it that way. No, he he said, I commend you in Acts 20.32 to God and the word of his grace, which is Christ himself. That's what gives us experientially the inheritance that's ours positionally. And we're learning about that all the way through until in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we see him face to face and then experience that love in 1 John 3, 1 to 3, with a depth in Ephesians 3 and verse 19 that will pass completely everything about us. It it just, in, in terms of, we never come to the end of how much he loves us for all eternity, because in Isaiah 57 and verse 15, he inhabits eternity the God of eternity, inhabiting us in our experience. See, position's one thing. That's God's side. Now we invite him in through humility and dependence, and the God Almighty wants to come in to our experience and be one with us. And this takes a process of growth, and we see it here through learning. So in verse 2 of Romans 15, Let every one of us please his neighbor. The neighbor here, really the closest person. This is your local assembly. That's what it is. Local assembly. The epistle to Ephesians is beautifully brought out in the fourth chapter, fifth chapter, and right into the sixth chapter, into spiritual warfare. Individuals, families, local families make up local assemblies right into spiritual warfare where we become in Ephesians 4 and verse 16 a joint that supplies because we're no longer in Ephesians 4 and verse 14 tossed by every wind of doctrine that means every thought all these different thoughts and all these different thought projections and voices in 1st Corinthians 14 6 to 11 none of them are without significance they're for a purpose see satan has a purpose Oh, yeah. He has a purpose. You know, the battle, the battle in our experience is is our mind and how we submit our will to cover it. It's very, very important. And he's not doing it. He does it for us, first and foremost, in an intimate way. But that intimate love flows out to others. And they, boy, they, and they're ready and they see that and they can have it. Well, let every one of us Pleases neighbor for his good to edification. And that's why you see it even flowing in Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And the 30th verse says, and stop grieving the Holy Spirit. The very seal that you are owned and not your own. We don't have a right to speak on our own. We have no right to do so. The cross has crucified us in Galatians 6 and verse 14, thank God, in Romans 6, 1 through 6. This is an absolute fact and reality. It's a fact. And my faith, when I, when I depend upon it, my faith, my dependence meets the facts of God's eternal mind. And nothing can change that in Malachi 3, 6, in Hebrews 13, verse 8, in James 1. In verse 17. So we see here then. For even in verse 3. Even Christ pleased not himself. That's where a lot of our problems come from. I say all of them. Experientially. Because they're all dealt with positionally. For, For even Christ. Pleased not himself. Even God and humanity. The God man. The word of life man pleased not himself. You want to talk about our example and and the steps that we should follow in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21 and Psalm 37 and verse 23. The steps of a a man that experiences goodness are ordained of the Lord. And that's Ephesians 2 and verse 10. We're to walk in these works that Christ has already accomplished for each of us individually. And this goes into his precise plan. For us. And so we see then whatsoever things were written aforetime. Were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now. That's why. Now in 1 Corinthians the 10th chapter. 1 Corinthians 10. We see this very clearly. In 1 Corinthians 10. We see. We can read the first five verses, but this is what it says in verse 6. Now, these things were our examples. There are types that we learn from. We learn to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now, where does lust enter into the experience? The flesh that's in us in Romans 8, 9, but that we're not of, but it enters in. The lust, and then we see how that works. Those lusts that the enemy brings in the attachments to those lusts, and those attachments attach themselves to that lust pattern to give us a temporary what a temporary relief from the trials that we're going through. And we see in Romans eight one that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Period. Because we know that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death in Romans 8, verse 2, because we know, we know very clearly, for what the flesh, what the law could not do, the flesh could not do because of the law. What did it do? God sending His own Son, an impeccable humanity, did it all for us. And now Romans 8, 4 brings out the experience. It's either Christ and learning through patience, Patience. Yeah, that's right. Every single moment, every single day, every time we get up. Yeah, everything is brand new as far as God's concerned, because we are new. Are we old in God's sight in Second Corinthians five sixteen and 17? does he deal with anything about the old? Not only in terms of getting it out of our experience through loving chastisement and through in, in, in Jeremiah 2, verse 19, through our own backslidings fact of the matter is, he treats us in the new. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That's how he sees us. That's how he treats us. Because his son, in John 19, verse 30, has finished the work. And so we can see here, now these things were, in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, were our types, our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be you idolaters. Can I be an idolater in my experience? Yes, I can be. That's how the enemy wants me to get to know myself. But is that who I am in Christ in my position? And it is not. You see what these lust patterns that are in the flesh and how he can use them. Neither be idolaters. And an, and an idol is anything that's in competition with Christ actively in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that. That's 1 John 5, 20. And twenty-one, my little children, First John five twenty-one, keep yourselves, which means guard, and that has submission and humility and dependence on a continual basis. Keep yourself from idols. Neither be you idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down. Look at this is a whole world system. They sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. See. That's it. That's that's life in the world system. That's bondage to sin. In John 8, verse 34, it is being a slave to the sin. Neither let us commit fornication, spiritual fornication. As some of them committed and fell in one day, 23,000, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. Now for us, this is what the enemy does. He's a serpent in Genesis 3 and verse 1 and 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. He's the serpent and he still bites. He still bites. He still goes after those lust patterns to actuate them and then give us that attachment. And that attachment attaches itself to that lust pattern. And at times that can be a stronghold. There's certain sins that we may have functioned in for quite a while and it takes God a while experientially to deal with the experience with the truth against the lie in John 8, verse 44. So, here we see very clearly that's what they did. They they eat, to eat, to drink, and we see it, and rose up to play and not commit fornication and not tempt Christ tempting him like it's not enough God. Your plan is not enough. This situation this circumstance, this thing that thing, this thing, it's not enough because all that we would be doing is going right back to the garden again through the flesh, fallen nature and blaming God. And of course in and, and, and his love for us and our love returned to him through obedience we would never really want to do that. Now Neither murmur. You see, either through the submission of our wills, in Philippians two, twelve and thirteen, work out your own salvation with a reverence and trembling. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And when that's an experiential reality, and that's growth, too, in second Peter three and eighteen, we will do all things without murmuring, and 2.14 of Philippians, and murmuring is starts in the thought life, and we start talking to ourselves based upon these projection thoughts from, from the enemy, these reasonings, these imaginings, these imaginations that become idols in our mind in Second Corinthians 10 and verse 5. That's what they become, and so we need to cast them down in Second Corinthians 10.5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Those are not, Human thoughts. You may think they are and the enemy wants to convince. But no man is master of himself in Matthew 6 and verse 24. You will either serve or worship one or serve and worship the other. This is true for all of us. They were destroyed of the destroyer. We know in John 10, 10a, the thief comes to what? Now, can he change our position? I'm going to make this clear. He cannot in 1 John 5, 18b. The wicked one touches us not. That's positional truth. That's positioned in who we are in Christ. That's how God sees us in Christ. That's how he treats us. But here, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Of the believer, what? Their experience. Their experience through lusts and lies and blame game you know, listen, listen. When we don't want to be in our own life responsible and accountable to God, we will, in our ignorance or outright rebellion, in First Samuel fifteen and verse twenty-two, rebellion is as witchcraft. No, you wouldn't. We wouldn't even dream of doing that, would we? Get into witch. Now that we're born again, get into witchcraft. Well, rebellion is as witchcraft, and stubbornness is what is as what idol worship. Phew! Wow, the, those things are in the flesh, and we're not in it, but we're of Christ. But oh, how the enemy wants to make us of those things in our experience. They were destroyed of the destroyer in the types. Now, now, all these things happen unto them for types for our example, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the Age, world, is really the proper word here is age, not world. World doesn't end. Ecclesiastes 1, 4, Isaiah 55 and verse 17 and Ephesians 3 and verse 21. This earth does not, is done away with. It changes in its appearance. And there's scores of scriptures that teach us that, scores of them in Isaiah 65, 17, Isaiah 66 and verse 22, and 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13. It's going to be changed And that's why when Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, meaning in its original state. He's going to get it ready for us, for the eternity of the eternities. Phenomenal. And so here, again, it says, Now all these things happened unto them for our types, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the age, that's us, I come. Boy, we're close. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands. Let him that thinks he stands take heed. Lest he fall. And how do we fall? Pride in Proverbs 16, 18 goes before destruction and a hearty spirit before a fall. We need to be very careful. So, this is the truth of the matter. Now, this is us. Now, So we're going to learn in Deuteronomy the 8th chapter in verse 1 it says this. All the commandments which I command you this day will you observe to do. Could they do them? They could not do them. God gave them the law. To understand Deuteronomy 8, understand it in the ponderance of the eternal mind of God through the Scriptures, we have to see very, very clearly that the law in Romans seven twelve was holy, just, and good. Was then that which was good to make evil? No, God gave the law to them to show them that even before they do anything outside of Christ completely, they can only rely on a complete evil nature. In Genesis 6, 5, in Genesis 8, 10, verse 21, in, in Psalm fourteen one to 3, in Psalm 53, 1 to 3, Can't do it. The law was given because they said, they said it in Exodus 19 and verse 8 and Exodus 24 and verse 3, they said to God, tell us what to do and we'll do it. There's pride. So God gave him those 10 Hebrew words in Exodus 23 to 17, but with it were attached over 613 statutes and ordinances. You know, if you offend in one point in James 2.10, you're guilty of all. you break the whole thing. Thank God in James 2.13 for his mercy. And that's Lamentations 3.22, 23, and 24. But here we are in Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter. All the commandments which I command you this day will you observe to do that you may live, that you may experience life. Is there any life in the law when the flesh, and none of us can keep it, and multiply, and multiply, and go in and possess the land. The land here in the type in Second Corinthians one twenty is all the promises of God that have to do with His nature, character, and essence in His person and all the work that He's accomplished. They're all ours in Christ. And we enter into the promised land. Remember we said the other day they entered in, to the promised land and once they did that's when all their battles and all hell would break loose and that's bringing out all the truth in the first five chapters of Ephesians now when you get into these, the depth of these truths these positional truths these growth truths that's when the enemy really comes in because you're in the promised land and he doesn't want you to experience he doesn't want me to experience it and there's where Ephesians six ten to 18 the spiritual warfare comes in Second Corinthians 10.4, weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to what? Pulling down of strongholds, thoughts established in us over a multitude of years where they, become, where they become hardened and we function in a certain way, in a certain lifestyle, which doesn't have to do with who we are in Christ. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto you, unto your fathers, And you will remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness, the world. To what? Look at what it says. To humble you. James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. To humble you. Now, this is what he's doing with us experientially. we positioned in him already. Now he's got to bring it into our experience. Why am I here, God? What am I all about? Why am I doing this? This doesn't make any sense. Bop, 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 bop. And this is the reason, and here it is: that you will remember all the way which the Lord your God led you. How many of us led us ourselves here? Which the Lord God led you these forty years of the wilderness to humble you and to prove to you, show to you, and to know what was in your heart. Was it the treasure that Christ is? Because in Matthew 6, verse 21, where your treasure is there, your heart's going to be. Your whole mind's thing is going to be. In six twenty one. And you have the treasure in you already because you already have him in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But where are you in terms of the treasure that's within you? Is the vessel more important? Ah, the vessel. Ah, the details of life. Ah, Matthew 6, 1 through 34. Details of life. Well... Look, to prove what was in your heart, not to condemn you or to accuse you, never, never, whether you would keep his commandments or not. For us, we know, keep what, he, what is already ours in Christ through absolute humility and dependence. Now, verse 3. What are you going through right up to this present moment? In your circumstances and situations and me with you and all of us together, And he humbled you and allowed you to hunger Hmm. and fed you with manna. Type of Christ coming down. Truth through the word that Christ is coming down to us that we can feed on it. Which you knew not. Many things we don't know. We think we do. Hmm. But we don't in 1 Corinthians 8, 2 and 3. (laughs) If any man thinks he knows anything, Any man thinks he knows anything. He knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Just deceived in in Revelations 12, 9. You know, when I function in deception in my own life, that deception the enemy has for me is going to enter into accusing someone, someone else, some circumstance, some situation, but in all reality, in Genesis, the third chapter, who when they used every person or everything as an excuse, who were they actually accusing? They were accusing God. I fed you with manna. And this is John 6, 30 to 57. Christ is the manna. But you knew not, neither did your fathers know. No, he didn't. They didn't know it? No, they refused it. Hosea 4.6 it says my people are destroyed my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge it didn't mean they didn't have it it's that when it came to them they refused it some don't get out of bed in the morning to get the word because other things take precedence and then when it's even available still not availing themselves for the life of me I don't understand that I, I don't how do people function how do they grow experientially How do they do that? How? Well, he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you didn't know, neither your fathers knew, that he might make you to know, oh boy, that man, what? Does not live by bread only. Again, Matthew 6, 1 through 34. All those things that get us upset does not live by bread only. But, separated from that, by every word, it's why I don't understand how people here miss the word so much. When it's recorded. and they have every opportunity to do so. Every opportunity to do so. And maybe they need help in initiation of love. I'll leave that up to the conviction of the individuals uh, with God. But the fact of the matter is this. To make you to know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord, does man live, experience life. Your raiment wax not old. How we doing? You don't have any clothes. You got to worry about it? Neither did your foot swell. You had shoes. That's Deuteronomy 28 and 29. You can go through there and look at it. Your foot didn't swell these 40 years. You will also consider in your heart, when you treasure up, it's either Christ or or yourself in Las Padres, that as a man chastens his son, see it? So the Lord, God, chastens, chastens you. Is he doing it just for our sakes? Yes, personally and intimately, yes. But now we turn to Joshua. And this is Joshua, the first chapter, and verse 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord began to speak unto Joshua. Because he was the son of Nun. He was Moses' minister. I mean, he, as God was leading them, as God was leading them, through the wilderness and through providing for them the word through them, he had his Joshua with him to minister to him, to help him in that call. That's what it says. Moses minister. What is that? He ministered to his needs and helped him minister to the needs of the local assembly. This is what's brought out clearly. They weren't living to themselves. Uh. You know, because all our problems keep us from the Word. Did you know that? Did you know that? All those things and all those thoughts we are trying to figure things that keep us from the Word. Keep Christ out of the experience. The intimacy of His love. Well, Moses, my servant, is dead. So it's not going to be long, much longer. God only knows. Average lifespan in Psalm 90, verse 10 is three score... 60, and 10, 70. Some by reason of 80. There, that's it. That's the lifespan. <laughs> Moses, my servant, is dead. He happened to live 120 years. God had to prepare him for 80 years. Did you know that, Moses? Do you think you have to wait? 80 years for Moses to use him for 40. That's how it works. It's called preparation. It's called humility, dependence. Experiencing the reality of of Christ positioned in the individual. My servant is dead, therefore arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, unto the land, do you see? Joshua, I want you to lead them through because they're going to learn things experientially. And we are going to learn things experientially through men that God has raised up to be teachers, pastors and teachers. In preparation. And that takes time. Oh yeah, it takes time. And God can redeem it. But it, In Ephesians 5, verse 16. But, but it takes time. Growth takes time. No, no question about it. Which I give to them, even to the children of Israel. The land is, is experiencing for us right now. In 2 Corinthians 1.20. All the promises of God in Him are yea and amen. They're all ours, what He's accomplished. In our experience. Now, verse 3, he said, Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, that have I given you, as I said unto Moses. How much more for us? Are we the dot? Is God the circle? That's right. Is he leading us? Is he? Or is it the flesh? Is it reasonings? Lies? He's leading us. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon That have I given you. You see, when God gives us something, it's not taken away. As I said unto Moses, now he's going to describe the land to them. Do you ever hear the descriptions of heaven? Get into the book of Revelations. 21 and 22, 22. The descriptions of heaven. If you think this place is beautiful on the earth. And one day heaven and earth will become one. We know that based upon 1 Corinthians 15 and 28 and Revelations 4 and verse 3. The circle rainbow uniting heaven and earth as one. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun will be your coast from east to west and there will not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Meaning, if you follow God and you obey him, no man can stop God from doing in you what he desires to do. No man, that's what it says. He gave me this promise in the 80s in Springfield, Massachusetts. when going through a very tremendous trial in, in my health and in a lot of other things back in the 80s. And he made it crystal clear to me. And this is true for all of us. There will not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, what? I will be with you. So I will be with you. I will not fail you. Nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. Be strong, graced out. 2 Timothy 2.1, Ephesians 2, eight, And of a good courage, good courage, not turning coward. You know, Luke 18.1, men should always pray and not turn coward and give up and lose their grip experientially. You lose your grip for yourself. It's going to have an effect on any, everyone else, especially those that are closest to you and to us. And that has to do with families and, and the local assemblies made up of families. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people will you divide for an inheritance the land. Boy, that starts in the home with husbands and wives and children. That's where it starts. But you get your, your education and your learning in the local assembly. That's where you get it. Which I swore unto their fathers to give them. Only be you strong and very courageous. We're more than conquerors in Romans 8.37. God for us, who can be against us in Romans 8.31? Look at those 13, 14 things that can't be against us. Famine, persecution, look at it all. Can't be against us. Why? God for us, leading us. Can't be. We don't have to go to someone else and tell them what we're going through. We go to God. Go to God, especially those that aren't instructed in the word. You should never hmm, give them all kinds of confusion. That should never be. Never. Never. And if you're not doing it for your sake, then do it for theirs. Only be you strong and courageous that you may observe to do, and doing is receiving. It's James 1, 21 and 22. When the word's engrafted, then the doing of the word is in you effectually. And that's, again, James 1, 21 and 22. Be you doers of the word and not hearers only. Declarative hearers. Turn, which, turn not from it to the right hand. Or to the left. This is Isaiah 30. He's waiting to be gracious in 18. Isaiah thirty 21. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right, but you're going to hear a word behind you. Why is the word behind you? Because what is it, what's it telling you to do? In Exodus fourteen fifteen. Go forward. The battle's the Lord's. Exodus 14, 14. You are to stand still, and I am to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, him working it out. And that's Exodus 14 and verse 13. As I go forward in leadership, so those around me go forward. When I don't, they don't. When I don't, they don't. Just make sure, please, that they get the counsel of the word. Make sure of that. Because if it was enough for you, do you think it should be for them? Are you able to digest it yourself and give it to them? Or should they come? Or should they listen? I'm going to make that very clear in love for those people this morning. Turn not from the left or the right that you may prosper wherever you go. Because you're more than a conqueror. God is for you, 8.31, Romans. More than a conqueror, 8.37. Never separated. God never separates himself from us, 34 and 35, right to 39. Who can separate us from the love that God is in us through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that you may do, see, see, that you may prosper. This book of the law, but up for us, the whole counsel of the scriptures in Acts twenty twenty seven, should not depart out of your mouth. But you will meditate therein when, day and night. What fills our time between day and night? Hmm. Starts in the home. Starts there. That you should yet you may observe through this meditation too. By the way, in Psalm sixteen, verse six and seven, to get a good sleep. Psalm 127, verse 2. According to all that is written therein, you'll, then you'll make your way prosperous, then you'll have good success, and others will see it. Now, verse 9. Have not I commanded you? Be strong. Be graced out. John one sixteen, 16. Grace upon grace, he gives us. And a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be you dismayed or confused or or, or that. No, what? For the Lord your God is what? Is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. You know, this is what God wants to instill in us this morning. As men. And as women, but as men. And women get their portion from men. Through the scriptures. There's absolutely no question about that. And and there's been times, and, and I know this. And I can I can speak, and I believe I can speak freely. There was a time, even in Barbara's life, where Christ, she didn't get a lot of teaching, but Christ was her head. Until he could lead her to a place where he could fill all the holes in her experience. You see? So he raises up men, godly, godly men, godly men. And he says to take courage, because the Lord watches over us. He does watches over us Proverbs 5 and verse 21 Jeremiah 16 and verse 17 Jeremiah 23 and verse 24 His eyes are in every place beholding everything the good and the evil Psalm 90 verse 8 There's no secret held from Him That's brought out again in Psalm 90 verse 8 in Hebrews 4 and verse 13 Very very clearly in the Scriptures Now So what is our thought life? When no one else, we don't want anyone else to to see that, do we? Well, (laughs) how about God? How important is that? Cast down these imaginations, these false reasonings, these lies. He watches over us, and He does. He makes every single thing work together for His own good to them that in obedience return His love that he loved them first with in 1 John 4, 10 and 19, and they returned it to him. The only place in that epistle as we've been taught. It says that all things work together for God's divine good in their experience to them that love God. <laughs> oh boy. And we have his love based upon the righteousness in First in uh, Corinthians 1 and verse 30, based upon the righteousness that's ours. And the righteous Lord And Psalm 11, verse 7, loves righteousness. Do you see how that works? Loves it. (laughs) He loves when his love comes back to him through our obedience. And And he actuates it too, by the way. So he's involved in it. See? He loves us. That's why he chastens us. And that's why we have to go through all these exercises. I don't know. Do you want to be a strong, real, big, built man? Do you? Are they going to happen overnight? Or is there a process of exercises? And when you don't exercise, what happens to the muscles? They atrophy. Spiritual principles. Spiritual principles. Beautifully brought out through the precious Word of God. But His love, He sheds abroad, meaning shed there in Romans 5.5, is He pours it out without measure. He pours it out by His Spirit, which He's given us. And you know what the proof is? Christ died for us when we were without strength, in Romans five six. And five eight, when we were actively sinning against him, he gave us his made his son available for us. Even when in Romans five ten, we were enemies. And when we were enemies, that's when he gave his son to us. He was dying. That's pure sovereign grace, doing what was exactly what was needed. And Christ He is Our need. In Philippians 4 and verse 19. And then when it's pure sovereign grace. Bringing us in humility to receive it. What do we have? With that we have the power to enjoy it. We have the power to enjoy him. and no matter what circumstance or situation we're in. Because we have the Holy Spirit within us. He's within us. Fulfillment of the promise in John 14, 16 and 17. Fulfilled in First John 2:20 and 2:27, and scores of other scriptures, we have the Holy Spirit, God within us, the Comforter, to take the things of Christ in John 16:13 and 14, and to show them unto us in verse 15 also of that chapter. Well, you ever have a lot of ifs? I know, but if <laughs> a lot of ifs, there's a lot of ifs in scriptures and we, we allow them to be attached to ourselves as we journey to see Him face to face. But the fact of the matter is, there aren't any ifs for us in Christ, by the way. Is it if God is for us in Romans 8, 31? Who can be against us? No. First class, fulfilled condition. Since God for me, who, who against me? God for me? Does it matter what's against me? If God is for me Himself and loves me, and it has it's his good invested. Can it fail? Can't fail. Love never fails. First 1 Corinthians 13.8. So as we begin to wrap this up this morning, what do we see here? There is an absolute finished work redemption in which there is no net. No if whatsoever. There aren't any ifs. Okay, what does away with the if? When we stand still, allow those thoughts, stop thinking those thoughts, Stop it and get before Him. Put Him before our face in Psalm 16, verse 8. No ifs. Stand still. Listen to the one voice in John 10, 3, 14, and 27. The one voice of the one shepherd in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 11. That one shepherd that we all have over us. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. It's a finished work. It's of his pure grace. It's of his divine power. And remember what he told Israel. Do you remember how I took you out? Out of Egypt? And I bore you on eagles' wings? Why did he do that? Why did God take Israel out of bondage? Why did he take us out of our old through Jesus Christ? Why did he do that? And give us this new nature, this new image, this new life. Why did God do it? Why all this? Why did he do it? It says in Exodus 19, verse 4, to bring us to himself. You see, every circumstance and situation, every single thing, every design of God's plan is the opportunity for God himself to bring us to himself because we're not doing it. That's why we need to submit to that love that does it. To get through the wilderness, Stop living in the wilderness. We're already in the land of Canaan. We're already in Christ. And all the promises are already ours. Stop living in the world. I mean, he can take us out of Egypt, the world system, take us away from Satan, Pharaoh, and the type. But we can still go back to the wilderness in the flesh. It's not how he loves us. He loves us in Christ. And we need to learn experientially what we are outside of him. But we have this life And because we have that life positioned, that's our position, we're to get experience. And to experience it, what must he do? Humble us and prove us and show us that's in our heart that we treasure up that's not of Christ. You see, he doesn't reject us. These messages don't reject us. No. They're not our enemy. No. No. God only rejects in us What is not of his love for us? He never rejects us. He loves us deeply. He loves us deeply. We have an ever living Father and Savior, and we do it personally. He's working out our salvation in us with a reverence and trembling. You'll see that again. You see it very clearly. Because it's God that works in us. And that's Philippians 2, 12, and 13, New Testament commentary. Old Testament commentary is Isaiah 66:1 1 and 2. It's God that works in us. This Personally, he works in us so that we can know his precious grace that we're kept by the power of God in 1 Peter 1, 5, and that's Christ in 1 Corinthians 1 and 24. And Father, we thank you so much for the depth of your love this morning, the depth of your intimate, precise counsel for us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.